When Harry Kane sits at home in front of the television, does he think about how many goals he scored for Spurs? Or is he thinking about all those trophies he's had to miss out on? He may very well now be thinking, as the Clash once said, should I stay or should I go? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Frank Lampard found that he had a little bit more time on his hands. Harry Kane is all but certain to become Spurs' all-time top goal scorer. And with Jurgen Klopp and Graham Potter struggling to grasp a hold of some consistent form, who has the bigger rebuilding job ahead of them? My name's Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Buggle and Neil Dobbs. And Neil, let's go and start with Harry Kane because... He's been brilliant for Spurs. He is a goal machine. Everyone knows, uh, even though there'll be some people uh, kicking him uh, when he doesn't score, that's just the nature of uh, supporters and and, and football in general. But he's a quality player, but he's winning no trophies. Is is this something that he's going to look back on if if he doesn't move from Spurs? Yeah, I think 100%, um, regardless of who you are and what sort of, especially when you're at the top, top level of the game, I think you have to look back at the end of the day and look at your accomplishments. Now, don't get me wrong, Kane will have a lot of accomplishments. I think he's on track to be Shearer's record. Um, he's already, is he the third highest goal scorer ever in English football? Like that in itself is an amazing accomplishment, but all those guys that he he will overtake eventually won a hell of a lot of medals along the way. Wayne Rooney, I think, is the next one he's going to overhaul. Apart from I mean, Alan Rooney has it. Apart from <laughs> he still won <laughs> stuff. But uh, I guess it's just to win that one thing. I seen a thing online today about Vardy saying, well, well, like, what's Vardy done? And he's been a great goal scorer now. But Vardy still won the Premier League yeah. uh, FA Cup. So, you know, he's things behind him. So I think as a pro, when you're at the top of your game, when you're at, you know, like, let's be honest, Kane could go anywhere. He could go Spain. He could go Germany. Um, but he's playing in the Premier League at the moment, which is renowned as the best league in Europe, if not the world. So, yeah, you would want that to go with certain titles and certain merits that you look back on, you know, on yesteryear and say, yeah, I won these things. OK, Dave. So if Jamie Vardy finishes now today, Harry Kane finishes now today, who's had the better career? Yeah, I think a lot of people and myself included will probably go with trophies. Like it's it is a team game and they can be taken away from you, Roy. So if he retires at Spurs, might have a statue outside. Obviously, people can take that away, but let's be honest, that's a permanent fixture. But people can take away that Premier League record because he'll obviously be taken away from Shearer, who's had it for so long. And you know, at least he can say finish today. Well, not if he finished today, but he's 29, he's on 199, Shearer's on 260. If he keeps doing what he's doing, three, four seasons max, you know, and it, it should be in the bag. You know, there's the reason why it's coming up now is because he's been rumoured to be kind of in more contract negotiations and he's warming to the fact of sticking with Spurs. And that's why it's kind of, yeah, and that's why it's kind of coming up. Sheringham was only on yesterday on a, a very famous sports channel where they talk a lot of sports. <laughs> and he was suggesting, obviously, maybe the likes of United, which is an obvious fit, considering they're looking for a goal scorer. And maybe at the moment certainly a better option to to try and get back onto the glory trail because and do you not think that the likes of Manchester United who who are building something and you can see the progress that's there and mm. they're 3-0 up in the first leg of the Carabao Cup have a chance of winning a trophy a trophy yeah. that Harry Kane would grasp 
uh, if he could uh, straight away. Do you, do you not think that that would be something that he would be attracted to, to, to try and go somewhere that he can win trophies now and if, if he surpasses Jimmy Greaves' record? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't, or any player for that matter. Like, Shearer always sits there with a, a lot of pride in what he has, but I'd love to see what he'd say in private. Obviously, he says he's had a great career and he loved being a hero at Newcastle, but there's no two ways about it. We're just fans. Imagine being a player and us as fans, and they're on a different level. But every year, whether it be the FA Cup, the League Cup, or the, I always have envy if it's not Liverpool when you're watching them lift it. So can you imagine being a player and actually competing with these guys? Mm. Love that feeling. It has to eat and grain them. He's got to watch every Champions League since they lost that final to Liverpool and go, geez, will I ever see that again? Will I ever get yeah. that chance again? Because competing at the very best is what you want. Getting that taste of the Euro final and obviously the Worlds, they're going to be a bigger highlight than what looking at a, a golden boot sitting in your cabinet. Because as I said, that can be taken away from you. Like, there's that it as no matter what they say when it's all over, it's got to eat at them. Like straight away when I was kind of thinking about this uh, uh, earlier on, I was like, I'd love to see if he had a private conversation. Say with Shearer, I know he won a Premier League title, but did he regret not going to United? And he can sit there like there's like you look at say for example, like everyone's a good goal scorer. There's no two ways about it. But would you rather your Ruvan Nisroy, Didier Drogba, Sergio Aguero? Um, would you pick them to be as good as them? Absolutely. Yes, they mightn't have as many goals, but they can sit there with a shitload of medals around the neck going, I think I'd rather my career than have 50 goals less than you, my friend. But you, you get the feeling, though, that if, if Shearer had those medals, he would be more renowned. And he, like, he has the record. Yeah, which he is anyway. Yeah. But you just, the names you just said, Dave, they, they, to me, emulate Shearer a little bit more because they were successful. Mm. They won. Imagine yeah. what Shearer would have won with United over a 10-year period. It would actually yeah, would have been absolutely. frightening. And yeah. still have and still have the goals, you know. But I can yeah. understand. I can understand his position. He's yeah. the top goal scorer, all time scorer in the Premier League. He is. Uh, he has won a, a Premier League with Blackburn. But Harry Kane could take that away from him, and, and all of a sudden, then he's won one league. But he's still won one league, which is still yeah. more than what Harry Kane has. Yeah, so Neil, if, I, I heard a discussion on Talk Sport the other day, and they were talking about Harry Kane and Holland and who they would rather have up front. Who would you rather have up front, Harry Kane or Erling Haaland? Uh, is it for one year or for five years? I think Haaland is one for the future, and he's going to do it for the next kind of five to ten years. If he but stays. For, if he stays. If you were in the market for centre-forward right now in the Premier League and you wanted someone for the short term, say it was like a quick kind of like a Mourinho fix, you come in and you want to win as much as you can in two years, I'd be actually thinking Harry Kane would be your guy to bring other players into play, especially if you're playing three up top. If you're an attacking team, he's going to get you goals. He plays nearly every game uh, and his record is absolutely phenomenal for Spurs. Imagine what it would be like in a city or, you know, someone that creates a bit more from, I guess, you know, because let's be honest, Spurs throw away 45 minutes every week, just acting the mess in the first half. So, um, I do see the argument, um, Haaland for kind of the glory and the fact of what he's done this year. But um, I think maybe if you're pinning him on a year or two right now only, yeah, I, I might even edge towards Kane of that argument. Yeah, well, like I, there's a lot of talk around Dave Haaland leaving after a certain amount of time and yeah. going on to his next project. Um, whether he, he falls in love with City or, or not, if he wins the, the big trophies with City or not, that, that may all be... Uh, part of that decision 
But over that four-year period, say, that Harry Kane probably has left at the top and mm. four-year period that Erling Haaland, no doubt, will be at the top of his game. What are you thinking alongside Neil there? Did you, would you rather have Harry Kane or, 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 or Haaland's power and, uh, and uh, finishing ability? Either or, to be honest. Like, Harry Kane's got 16 and 20 this year. It's very impressive and it's as good as what he's had in his very, very, very best years. Um, they've actually got more goals this year, ironically, under Conte than they did this time last year, which is ironic enough. Horses for courses. Like, obviously, Haaland's the up-and-coming talent. Everyone would probably pick him because he's younger and fresher. Kane, obviously, being a bit older and wiser, you know what you're going to get with him. But with Haaland, what is the potential? Can he get even better? That's, I suppose, is why you probably spring for Haaland. But without a doubt, if you end up with Kane, it's it, it's not the booby price, that's for sure. And yeah. anyone who's who's up there challenging, that's maybe not Man City, would be fools not to be looking at him and, and dangling the potential of, of some trophies and silverware. Yeah, absolutely. Now, from probably the best team in the Premier League, although Arsenal have something to say about that, to one of the worst run teams. Well, the one of the worst run teams since Wofford, anyhow. Frank Lampard and Everton have parted company, Dave. It's it's hard to put the finger of blame on Frank, isn't it? Because mm. there's been seven or six or seven previous managers in this seven or eight previous years. There seems to be a, a, a lot of money wasted at this club and hard to blame every manager on it. Yeah, it would be hard to blame, but it'd be interesting to find out who's the one actually spending the money and where we don't like, as in who's the one making the purchases. Because I remember when Koeman even came and he bought a buttload of players one summer and half of them I, I would have thought they were decent on paper, but maybe he bought too many. Like, I think Kenry just wants to be the guy who's standing in the middle of the stand as the chairman. I don't really believe he does a hell of a lot there. I think mm. like he's from the stage and I'd say that's what he wants to be. He just wants to be sent to stage. He, that's, that's why he probably won't let it go. He's 77 years of age. He probably adds nothing in terms of the day-to-day running, but he won't relinqu- relinquish his um, title as the main man and doesn't yeah. want to be kicked. He's, he's just hanging on to the curtain, so to speak, if you want to use his West End thing. And that's it. And you see that at grassroots level and everything. There's some people who just want to be seen to be the guy in the middle, but don't ask me to do the work like, you know? Um, so it'll be interesting to see who's the guys in the background. But Lampard deserves the same potential criticism as every other manager, but I think he's got a bit of a, a leaner ride because all of a sudden that's the narrative. It's it's the club, even though the club's been run like this for 15 years. So he gets away with it. And I, like I said to you guys before, even Jared got away with it a bit lightly as well, considering the step up Villa have made under Unai Emery. Um, this time last year, I was doing it because we may be talking about Man City, but I looked at the league table from game week 20 this year to last year. Now, when Man City, now this is game week 20 from, from Man City's position. So last year when Man City played 20 games, Everton had only played 17 and they had 19 points, 21 goals, 29 conceded. Um, but they only played 17 matches. They actually have played 20 matches this year and they 15 points, only 15 goals scored and 28 goals conceded. Mm. So their defence is roughly the same. Their goals have dried up and they four points less with three games more. Yes, he gets away with it, but Rafa was a waster and didn't have the club at heart and all this kind of crack, you know? So he deserves some stick. Like, you know, I'm not a fan of him bringing in the Mope. I don't get it. Dwight McNeil, I know he didn't bring in Deli Ali. Now, at least he shifted him out. Alex Awobi gets awful stick. Like, I don't. I think he was before him. But, before you know, him, yeah. you know he, he gets credit for Tarkovsky and Cody, and I think rightly so. I think the defence is... But it's roughly the same. They've conceded a goal less but they play three games more. So you give them a bit of credit for that. But 
he's only scored 15 and 20 and he has what was it 35 points in 38 matches you know not even a point a game and he was quite happy to be on the center stage in that stand where bill kenwright likes to sit getting all the adulation for keeping them up when they weren't even in the relegation zone in the first place when they got rid of rafa hmm. but of course it's not his fault which is very very baffling yeah so obviously Dave feels it is his fault and and, yeah, and, and it's deserves it. It's his fault as it is the club, you know. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't do a great. Uh, job. I don't know if I go along with that. Uh, and I'll ask Neil. Neil, if there was a stat there that was put up, it was six over five or six years. Everton have spent just twenty million less than Arsenal, uh, who are sitting top of the, t- the Premier League at the moment. 730 million I think Arsenal spent I think Everton are 710 and Liverpool are somewhere in between the two of them I think Uh, that's a lot of money to have a lot of terrible players in your squad and to tell you the truth there's no world class players there's no under world class players and there's no really just excellent players in that squad and they're being heavily reliant on Calvert-Lewin waiting for him to come back from injury and he's constantly injured in the last 18 months yeah, and I think, look, I'm I, I, looking at the stats on Sky Sports the night, didn't they? One of the years, it might have been the Cumin year, where they spent ridiculous money as in in the last five. There was one really, really high spending year where they thought, you know, they were bloody Chelsea as of this year, really. They mm. were spending like crazy. So I think Lampard, Rafa, uh, even Ancelotti fell into that trap where they came into the, after that initial massive spend. And then the players began to dry up. The quality began to dry up as in they weren't going for the same kind of profile. I think the problem at Everton is when you're in that kind of position, mid-table, even upper table of the Premier League, when you were originally spending, you can only attract that certain type of player. It's very difficult to attract the high-end players. You end up paying a little bit more for them. Um, And that's just come back to haunt them now at this stage. I mean, I don't think um, Lampard has made any kind of critical area you look at me, you think that's a horrible thing other than losing Richarlison and then Calvert-Lewin being injured. So Richarlison leaving to go on the bench and not get in with Spurs, like he, he was a big game player for Everton. Mm. Um, so how do you, he never replaced he was there, every, they he brought in. every game player for Everton. So he had to go because he, he was, was as big as they could get. Yeah, yeah but, but he only showed up when it very mattered at the very last game. Like he was so hot and cold. But he'd still and, lead your line. And I mean, he's, if you're he's comparing him to a Mope, Mope, though, isn't he? Yeah. When you're comparing him to a Mope, I think that's when you see a big difference, isn't it? And there's no one in there now. Demarty Gray is their best player for my for my money. When you watch him week in, he always seems to have a little bit of quality about him. But like he's on his own in that regard. He's re- like they're a really, really poor side. And when isn't there talk now of Gordon bailing out for 40 million? Which isn't that high about the money? Um, Jesus, they get forty million for them. They're doing well because they should have taken the fifty million when they had the chance. Uh, I, I haven't seen a tap from them since the, the the fifty million bid was put in. Neil, yeah. Do, do you think? It, I, I think it's a it's 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 overhype. It's one of them transfers you look at and you think, well, where like maybe look, it could be one of these where someone sees something in a player that you don't see. I remember we were discussing Ramsdale there, you know, a year yeah. ago, saying. How did they pay 25 million for Ramsdale? And he's a key part of Arsenal. Maybe someone looks at him and thinks he could do a job for me, but 40 million, look, what, what's 40 million these days? It's the, the transfer market is, is uh, kind of saturated now thanks to Chelsea. So maybe mm. he's a 20 million player, but someone is after him. But I agree with you. He, he, was, he was a good player last year. He looked kind of on the up and up, seeing very, very little of him this year. Yeah. Uh, just to finish off on Everton, Dave. <laughs> In my opinion, 
I look at Wofford and I was delighted that they went down the amount of messing that they do with managers and, mm. you know, buying all sorts of similar players, rubbish players, really, in fairness. Not rubbish players, but you know what I mean? For Premier League level, the, the players they bring in are, aren't good enough and there's too much mm. chopping and changing that, that's going around. Uh, that started to happen. was with them as well, ironically enough. Last yeah, if, if funny enough, he was. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's certain players that Dave doesn't like, isn't there? <laughs> I know, I, listen, I think he's all right. You know, he he showed up at the right time and got credit for helping them stay up, but he was part of the problem for the other 37 matches. Do you know what I mean? And he was so hot and cold, and it's like, be careful, lads. Like you know, and is he that hot? Like Conte's obviously found it out now. He can't trust him. So he was brilliant for Brazil. Talking. <laughs> what we do like you know I well I'm not but wasn't he playing on the sure. left hand side wasn't he play, kind of playing on the left hand side for Everton and Calvert-Leon up front so a little bit of a different when he's up, he was up front for Brazil and, and, and he was putting them away so there's a good player in him Dave but he's never going to get in ahead of Harry Kane in, at Spurs exactly. you know like, so he's back up that that's it. Yeah. not that I have an issue with him it's, it's like a lot of players it's like you have to do it seven or eight times out of ten not two or three and there's too much of that going on at the minute and that's why it's like show me more of that and I'll put you in I'll give you the praise you deserve but you just don't do it enough but there's there's no denying the talent's there but to go back to Everton to be honest the the, the football side they deserve the criticisms they deserve including the Ancelotti's who brought in Hammers and brought in a few names they've tried everything they tried to bring in a couple of bigger names they tried to build up the, the young guys at the moment they're probably and I'm, I'm not giving the, the bar deserve every criticism going but they're putting a lot of money into this new ground as well. So look at Arsenal and the lull that they had. So the fact that they're still spending money, rightly or wrongly, who the man is behind that and is it in conjunction with the managers, I don't know. But it's definitely not Bill Kenwright, I'd be I'd be fairly sure of that, and, and Mashiri. They're just rolling, bankrolling the checks. But they need to stay up, and I hope they stay up, because if they go down before this is done, it, it, everything could be in big, big trouble. If you look at them though, Dave, they're after sacking Frank Lampard. They don't have a plan. There's no managers in sight. They just sort of sacked and blind. Everyone was looking at it for the last month saying, God, Frank Lampard could get sacked. Frank Lampard could get sacked. Jesus, if he yeah. loses this game, surely they're doing the exact same thing and have a few people under. They, the transfer window is closed in a, in a week. You know, so they're not making their life easier. I just think it's mismanagement above that. And it's very hard to get it right on the pitch. I, I look at the team now. The team was probably better a few years ago. There was probably better players in it. I mean, Martinez is in there. He did have a few good players. And, and again, you know, n- nothing from seemingly one of the best in the world. Uh, n- nothing happened really at Everton then at that stage. Played a bit of prettier football, but flattered to deceive. So... They didn't look for a new manager straight away, but they put the club up for sale. That says a lot about them, doesn't it? Oh, and then so, like, it, it, it's farcical. But I want Everton to be around. I love the Mersey Derby, and that's probably a bit of bias. Why I think that's three points. Not, not really. Well, yeah, but a bit of both. But at the same time, it's, you know, you can't beat a derby, and it's it's better when City were there. Like, you, you would have missed them as well over the years back in the day. But, you know, you want it to be, you want them to turn it around, the right people to come in. But, um, I would really worry for Everton's future if they go down with the current situation with the new ground. They'd be a massive... Now, don't get me wrong, some money man will probably come in anyway and probably save the day and they'll probably never have that same kind of pain that your Sunderland's and Leeds and even Man City's would. I'm sure somebody will, but um, I, I still wouldn't want to... I, I, you're, you're playing with fire if they go down. Like, I, like Let's just wait and see. But overall, I've not much sympathy for them and the way they try and turn it around, but... 
somebody with a level head and a sensible head needs to come in and say, right, let's do the basics and let's just slowly but surely come 17th and then maybe next year we'll come 16th with a bit of comfort 17th. you know literally it, that is. it must be one of them jobs lads you know the way sometimes a manager gets the sack and you think to yourself jesus there's going to be a manager come in will inherit a real good squad of players a good ethos good club well-ran club everything are literally the opposite of that right now they're a rundown squads they sold off their best players they're sitting in a horrible bloody position and by all accounts it sounds like the board the management the directors are all at each other's throats horrible environment to come into there's a and club they're, and they're not bringing the in anyone. But there's a club 30 miles up the road who are turning around quite quick. So it can be done. And mm. I'm talking about Everton's level. They can turn around quite quickly and get comfortably a little bit up that table and then slowly but surely start turning them into a, a professional club again. It doesn't take five, six years all the time. You can you can get an ethos and a culture into a club quite quick and set your stall out if you if if you are sensible and make one or two correct choices fairly quickly. Um so it can be done. Um but it's not expected whatever no I think listen players win games and the better quality you have on the pitch the the better chance you have they definitely need more quality there's n- there's not very much out there um, okay right well let's talk about rebuilding because uh, Jurgen Klopp and Graham Potter are both grasping to, to get that consistent form Neil what do they have to do first of all both of them and uh, who has the harder job uh, I think I was thinking about this today in relation to obviously money and just infinite finances. Obviously, Potter has the upper hand here because now whether they're his signings and he goes and points the finger and says, get me him, bam, I have him, get me him, bam, I have him. But, um, you know, they've, they're after bringing in so many players, it's very, very hard to judge them. But at least he has the players to change his system. At least he has the players to change the way they're playing and change their fortunes. Um, and he's just unlimited back and behind them. Um, and that's on top of the players that are already at the club, which, let's be honest, Chelsea aren't exactly short on that regard. Um, so my opinion, I think Jurgen Klopp, because he's financially hamstrung in comparison, has a harder job. But I think the squad, the structure and the way the club has them set up it might only take one or two pieces or one or two of the right players and then one or two injuries to come back before he kind of gets the ship back on track. Um, but I think financial-wise, obviously, Chelsea have just ridiculous clout, so much so that they've probably changed the transfer um, window for everybody across Europe. Um, do Dave, do Liverpool pour them out themselves like Neil uh, kind of is insinuating there because like there's a lot of money being spent at Liverpool and the likes of Naby Keita who in my opinion hasn't really worked as a Liverpool player Thiago has come in started well but hasn't really in my opinion done anything amazing to improve the midfield that was already there Um, they brought in Darwin Nunes of course they brought in uh, uh, the winger what's his name Luis Oh, Diaz. 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 Gakpo. They, they, so they've brought in Gapco. They, they, they have bought in players. So, and it's not that they can't compete with the, the bigger teams around Europe. Is it just case that maybe one or two of these players weren't great for the team yeah. and to help them progress uh, as they would have liked? Yeah, like I think Liverpool's model is a little bit different. Like it's... <sighs> Liverpool have money. Let's not kid ourselves here. There's no two ways about it. And there's rumours is there's a nice pot to start with in the summer, regardless 
of the money that's going to be added on with selling because the rumor mill is kicking off now that they're starting to drum up a list to bring in even more money and, and one of our own Kelleher is now going to be rumored to be on that list to cash in on and make some money and one or two others one of my personal choices let's make some money on jones and a few others as well and maybe even kate and and and, and nat phillips and a few others so they're going to add to that so liverpool can get in the mix i think what the problem is with liverpool it's they can't really maybe go after the way when Ronaldo was available last year, not that I'm saying they would have, or if Mbappe was an actual realistic target, would they have scrumped, scrumped, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, brought up the cash for it? Maybe not, but they're well, well able to the play. question for that, isn't it, though, Dave? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ellingham will test it, will test that too. million, give or take, have they got it? They, they do, but is that the only player they buy? Liverpool are well able to buy 15, 60 million players, but that's a bit of a, a standard price now. And, you know, they had a great run of form and a great purple patch, but not every player works out. And obviously now with the 50 and 60 that they're buying, there's one or two which, you know, the question marks are still out and there's one or two you probably think absolutely not. So I think that's where it's a little bit different. But Liverpool's a bit more stable club and a little bit more of a stable side. And if he was to be lucky with a bit of obviously nous with what they're doing in the background and buy the right players in the summer, they could be in a better position. But exactly what Neil said, with the war chest, you know that Chelsea have they can do what they want within reason now there's rumors that the financial fair play is going to start coming into mm. and they might be cut out on one or two things they've done for some reason I don't know exactly this full story in that but it's long term the long term yeah. contract so instead of giving them a four, eight five year, year they've given them an eight year like yeah so they'd appreciate so, less um, over eight years exactly yeah. you know uh, obviously, there's a couple of names who we're very unaware of, but uh, Badia Sheila actually looked quite good. And there's a few others you go, who is this fella? Obviously, Mudrick didn't, yeah, he didn't have a lot of time, but looked a little bit of a look good, look decent. Where you're going, geez, yeah, they think they've done well here. And, and obviously, Arsenal could be a bit jealous, but I think Liverpool have a better chance of being a bit more stable if they get one or two of the right players that will gel in and just click into place quick enough. But obviously, Chelsea have a better chance because obviously, it looks like this guy is willing to give. As much as as much as it's needed, but in saying that, that can create problems as well because Potter is still very much chopping and changing his side, and is still struggling to find what his best eleven is exactly, and that consistency, and hence why two teams and Liverpool are struggling with consistency due to a few little niggers and injuries and front trees and this that and the other, and obviously the team isn't that great this year for whatever reason, and there's no surprise that both sides are in ninth and tenth. Like the difference in those two matches this weekend, lads, between Arsenal United and Liverpool and Chelsea. Liverpool and Chelsea played like a blatant ninth and tenth, and the other two teams played like a blatant two sides gone for it. it would, night and day compared to this time last year. It's incredible. Mm. There, there's a narrative, Roy, in Liverpool, and Dave will know this is in through the chats and the fan forums that they haven't spent on the midfield, and everyone has been crying out for a midfielder since Wijnaldum basically has left. But if you watch closely in the last year in particular, Dave mentioned one of them. Curtis Jones is kind of on his last chance saloon. Mm. Harvey Elliott, I don't think he realises whether he's a midfield, as in Klopp does, a midfielder or a striker. So he's sacrificing the midfield by putting him in there. And now Bajatic is after coming onto the scene now. He's only like 17, 18 years old. He might, he actually now looks more likely to break into that midfield than any of them. Where a year ago, I think Klopp was waiting on one of these to step up and be yeah. the main guy. And it hasn't materialized. And now we really do look like you don't have that extra midfielder. Because as you said, Naby Keita all of a sudden comes back and he looks a player. Oh. And you think to yourself, how many times has he broken people's hearts? Um, just a silver line in that, by the way. You've Keita, Oxlade, Chamberlain and Firmino who are out of contract. So by the summer, you'll have extra funds. 
So, if you were to buy Declan Rice and you were to buy Jude Bellingham and you had to get rid of a certain amount of players, Dave, to fund that, who would you get rid of? You wouldn't probably have to get rid of as much as you think because there's money there and it's been rumoured even from earliest September and October that there is rumours of 100 million and upwards already there. So that's one of them already sorted. Personally, Kelleher, I think it'd be there. You're probably talking 20 million minimum. If the Bazunas of this world are going for something similar, I'd say you'd be there or thereabouts. I said it today, being a bit bold, but I think you could get 40 or 50 because the way Liverpool do it, I would shift Elliot. I just, I'm not sure about him and maybe put a buyback clause in it, get him out there and play regular because like Neil, I don't know if he's an out and out midfielder for sure. And then he's going to struggle with that, with the front three, considering there's a seven or eight of them up there. Um, Keaton and a few of the others are probably going to go on a free so they're the two guys I, do you know who I'd be as well I'd probably shift Gomez you know um, you have the young Calvin Ramsey there is right back you have four three centre three centre halves maybe buy another one maybe one of the up and coming guys stick around you could easily maybe get 20 million for Gomez Forrest will have a bite of him do you know what I mean if they stay up you know so there's between Kelleher uh, say Elliot and Gomez, you could easily get up to 60, 70, 80 million, depending on how good Liverpool are at shifting them. Um, yeah. So watch that space. But are you going to get the two lads? Because even Chelsea will probably come in and go, we'll take one of them, screw that. Because, like, you know, that seems to be their tactic. Let's buy the talent before everyone else does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting for both teams to see how they rebuild. Again, uh, Murdoch played the other day, he's playing against 300 year old. James Milner so I'm not so sure if I'm convinced that he's yeah, going yeah. to be an amazing player just yet but he definitely does have talent uh, otherwise he wouldn't be in the Premier League I suppose um, when you look Neil at teams who have rebuilt or are still in that rebuilding but are, are, are prospering from it the likes of Manchester United and Arsenal how have Arsenal gone from where they were last year to what was it five points ahead at the moment of recording ahead of Manchester City? It's such a huge turnaround. But was it was there signs there that that was going to happen? And all you needed was a little bit of a wobble from the others to be able to take advantage. Uh, yeah, I've given this a bit of thought today. Insofar as when you think of the previous discussions we had a year ago about Arteta, and it was. You know, there was that famous time where he needed a win so badly. He got one in like a league or an FA Cup and then they got a win on the weekend. And then all of a sudden he just began to get this momentum going, you know. But, um, you know, we would have always said on the, on the show over the last few uh, months in particular that Arsenal were beginning to get the spine of the team correct. You know, they signed Ben White. Uh, Gabriel had a kind of a partner. Now, I know Ben White plays right back these days, but, you know, Partey came in and he kind of got, he, he had a lot of injuries in the beginning. They got him sorted. Uh, Granit Xhaka was part of the solution because he's like a reborn citizen. He all of a sudden, like, he has a purpose. He's playing like a guy that you have not seen that kind of form for him the last four years. Um, and then up top, then they bought Gabriel Jesus. So it was a combination of bringing in some very, very shrewd signings but obviously they were Arteta's signings as in Zinchenko has turned out to be a masterstroke. Jesus was a masterstroke. And then what he's done as a manager is, and I mean, let's be honest, they're giving him some serious accolades saying he's the most tactically brilliant manager in the whole of Europe now, based on what he's done so far for half a season. But he's gotten uh, Saka and Martinelli 
playing like two proper, proper wingers. And I mean, I, I, I asked you, as I think just pre-Christmas, who did you think as far as the young guys, Foden, Saka and all? I, I still look at Saka sometimes and I don't see an outstanding guy that rips a winger apart. But man, he was absolutely brilliant in the last couple of games against Spurs and against United. Absolutely fantastic. So he's just getting it right. He's got his tactics right. Um, and he's built up a team spirit now that when you watch Arsenal play, where this time last year, and even in the run into the end of the Premier, or the Premier League last year, when they missed out on Fort, they still looked a little weak. Whereas now, like they were two all with Man United in the weekend, with whatever it was, 10 minutes to go. And they went for the juggler in a way that only a team high in confidence can do. So he, he's just pulled all these pieces together. He has them fighting for each other. You see the way they're celebrating after the matches. You know, every match is a big, big match. It's kind of Leicester-esque the way they're counting yeah, down these games. Now. Out. Yeah, really impressive. Um, and whatever he's doing, his man management skills have come to the fore and he's just after assembling a really good uh, squad of players. What I will say is, though, he's been, people are saying he's fortunate, but that group of players has more or less stayed the same for the first 20 games. He hasn't, you know, had a bad, Jesus was the injury and Keddy comes in, bam, hits the ground running. So, Everything has just gone really, really well for him. But uh, you got to give him the credit. Like it, it really is a phenomenal transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I said Saka against Manchester United was absolutely outstanding, Dave. Um, he tore them apart. Listen, there's there's things that could have happened in that game. Maybe should have changed on on a Manchester United side to counter it but it didn't happen and that's where Arteta has to get all the praise he changed things himself in the game uh, took Ben White off and uh, that changed uh, yeah. Rashford's influence so that's where you get so you have to give credit to Arteta it's not just the players that he's brought in but he's as you said tactically aware but also uh, it seems to be a very very good motivator and, and people obviously like him in the club um, if you had a choice for Liverpool between Thomas Partey and Casemiro, who would you select? Um, what age is Thomas Partey? They're both, they're both the same age. It doesn't make a difference. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I they are, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to be awkward, but I'd have Xhaka over Partey, to be honest. Um, I know Partey's Jesus. getting a lot of it. I don't know why. I just, I really like, maybe it's the renaissance, the fact that he was giving it the big one to the fans and they're booing him and now all of a sudden, you look with a bit of envy going credit where credit's due, you know? Lazarus. And look at him kind of getting involved in the little bit of nitty-gritty with Ramsdale after he spotted something where there was a couple of spores, lads circling one of the one of the Arsenal guys, and then only for Arteta pulled him because I think Arteta was shitting himself what Jacka was going to do. But Jacka just spotted it, and maybe that's what it is being about. But Casemiro, regardless, has been very, like, arguably the ultimate um, inspiration to where United are. There's a hell of a lot more than that. But when, you know, Fred and McTominay, Jesus, I feel sorry, McFred. The, the, no, the no, he's a, he's a big getting, factor. And the fact that he slots in there now, even the McTominays and Freds look good beside him, and that's saying something. Um, and that says a lot. And then, obviously, it's galvanised Bruno Fernandes to be who, you know, you'd arguably got in the first place. He obviously had a bit of a distraction with his his, his counter, his uh, national teammate, who I think was a wrong distraction for him. Now that he's gone and Casemiro's there, Fernandez is back. And then obviously look at some of the other guys. You, you, you know yourself, guys. You play with good players. You can't help. You know you have to get your finger out. You can't be on the pitch with these guys if you're not performing. And uh, that's the big difference. So I pick Casemiro over 
over the three of them, I should say. And okay. just a little, isn't it amazing? Just a little thing, surely because yeah, no, you you rhymed off loads of players, Neil, because of Arsenal without a shadow of a doubt. But I give a little nod to Saliba as well coming in and yeah. the centre back, and then. Odegaard, arguably the puppet master who's bringing it all together now. He was very impressive in that second half as well. Do you and, think um, Odegaard is Coutinho-esque, Dave? No, I no better. <laughs> I, I mentioned that a couple yeah. of months ago. He was Coutinho-esque and you're like, whoa, Odegaard, yeah, whoa. I, I, and I, I again, it better. shows the difference in a year. Would you yeah. have compared uh, Fred McTominay to Partey and Jack at one stage? <laughs> you would have. Yeah. And now all of a sudden... Yeah, different class but on that Roy I guess yeah you'd have to lean towards Casemiro because I'm thinking to myself if you're on a football pitch or in a dressing room and you look to your left and you see Casemiro a guy that's won you know three titles uh Champions League back-to-back around Madrid the history he has I mean you know you must grow a foot taller standing beside him you know you know not just his yeah. own experience but he's been playing with Cruz and Modric he has it all now like and he has probably little tools of theirs as well in the locker what he could be parting, like the wisdom he could be parting to, to you know, it's, it's invaluable. Yeah, he still I, looks I, like he's carrying a bit of timber every now and then when you look at him. Fair play. You're scraping in. Just the muscle in there. <laughs> uh, no, I think you're right. I, and I, I don't think you're wrong, Dave, to uh, emphasise the importance that he has to the team. You could see that against, um, against Arsenal. There is a big yeah. gap there when he's not there. Albeit United played probably the best they could probably play and Arsenal yeah. deserved to, to, to win the game. But he is that calm and influence and reads the game so well. So if he's out for the rest of the season, he got an injury and he was out for the rest of the season, I, I fear for United, even in the top four, to tell you the truth, because he's well, that big of an influence. So, well, uh, well, the reaction, Roy, when he got the yellow card, it was like he literally was out for the season, the way people oh, were going And that yeah. tells you how important a player is, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he has that X factor about him. Yeah. Okay. Listen, we're going to leave it there. Uh, oh no, we're not. We're going to talk about one more thing, and I know there's a couple of things that we didn't talk about, and we'll bring them up next week. But we want to talk about uh, Neil. We talk to you about it. The white card has shown its face in. Is it Portugal? Portugal it was. Yeah. So uh, female referee refereeing a Portuguese game uh, decided they've they've had it in this season, but obviously no one has had the opportunity to use it. And uh, she ended up, it was the medical staff, I think they gave some medical aid to actually support her rather than a player. But as they were leaving the field, I just watched the YouTube video, the the guy's looking over and she's brandishing this white card to him of a thing of fair play. And it got a round of applause and all the rest. But I was just thinking to myself, it's obviously intended for a moment in the game itself rather than outside of the actual 90 minutes, you know, as in the players. And the fact that that was what it was first used for, I'm thinking to myself, what would a player have to do these days in the Premier League? Would it be a Paolo Di Canio moment, which there's yeah. not many of memory caught the ball in the box that time? So yeah. what would you need to do, I guess, if you're looking at United Arsenal on the weekend, big game, a lot of emotions running. At what point does the ref go, right, I need to squeeze a white card in here. Who am I going to give it to? It's, uh, I'd, say, I'd say the top will be finding you for getting a white card. If you get a white card, you get a point. <laughs> You know, I'd say like Keane might get one for not stamping on someone's chest or something like that. Well Twice. done. He just, he did the second time, Roy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. He pulled yeah. back just as he was about to stamp on him or something. Yeah, yeah. well yeah. done, Roy. Uh, yeah, I, listen, it's it's. Uh, I'm trying to think as I'm as I'm uh, or, you know, 
Uh, no, I think it's nonsense. That's the truth. Yeah, uh, that's they're, really. They're looking I mean. for I'm trying to t- reward t- positivity. In t- the game. Positivity, yeah. But listen, well, it just don't, feels don't awkward, mind the, doesn't it? Th- yeah, don't mind the positivity. Why don't they just deal with the cheaters diving around the place first, and and then uh, sort that out, and then you won't have to worry about awarding. Uh, you know, I mean, what do you get for a white card? Is it like a feel good it, factor? Yeah, a lot of crap. So, uh, I hope white cards never make the light of day in any sort of professional league on a, on a constant basis. It's it's nonsense. Yeah, Maybe it'll be nonsense. entered in the next World Cup, Roy, where you're you're judged on goals scored against your uh, against the team if you all finish on equal points. But then one team had one white card and they go through to the fucking <laughs> stages. Oh my god! Imagine that. Yeah, the Japanese would get it for what they do with the dress room. It's it's it, they they ever see the clean it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. After the game, get a white card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay, yeah, right. We're uh, we're uh, listen. If anyone. Uh, has an idea of what a white card could be used for or how it could be used in a positive manner, do get on to us and send us an email or whatever, the kickoff96.4 gmail.com. Uh, I'm guessing not a single one of you are going to uh, send that in to us because uh, I'm not convinced at all. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Dave, Neil, thanks very much uh, as always. Thanks very much for listening to you as well. And uh, we had a long Christmas, but we will be back weekly from now on till the end of the season. So, Stay tuned.